on this episode of Why Watch That. I mean, some of it is outright thievery. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just got to Well, say. you know, we know what's going to be happening in the next year. I got a piece of letter oh. from Texas with oh. white powder on it <gasps> sent to my apartment. And I called the authorities to come check it out. And, and uh, it was obviously nothing. But for a hot second, oh. I thought perhaps maybe I could be in the hot zone. You got to take care of your family, bro. Okay. And if you don't, you certainly can't look at your sons and be like, you can't be criminals. I mean, you're going to have to do your job. Okay. I just got to say that. He's the one pushing a lot of this. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like, you had a problem with that last time. I, I do. I have a big problem. How are you going to let your brother take all the flack? It's for everything? Brother. I you know care. how it goes. I you do. And I would never do that to my brother. Why Watch That as a podcast featuring the critic and referee who go head-to-head on a quest to discover the best movies and TV shows Hollywood has to offer. Expect the unexpected from the critic. Well, nothing gets past the ref. We do all the work. So you don't have to. Welcome Welcome to to Why Why Watch Watch That. Critic? Yes. Critic! What? Have you heard? We just got a buy me a coffee page. (laughs) What's that? Boy, come on. It's a place where listeners can support our work for as little as $5. $5. Pretty much the price of a coffee. I don't drink no coffee. What you talking about? Well, you don't drink anything but water (laughs) and eat raw potatoes. But... (laughs) I guess they can buy you a popcorn. How about that? (laughs) uh, Yeah, right. right, right. (laughs) Well, everyone, look, visit buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that to support our work or purchase our valuable resources. Yeah, you know what? We just added the TV trackers to help you curate a collection of shows you'll love to watch. So find this and more ways to support us at buymeacoffee.com forward slash why watch that. So, Critic, are you going to buy me a coffee? Maybe. The Why Watch That Talk. We have a lovely TV talk. Now, it's not usual that we do a lot of TV talking during this time of year. If you know anything about this time of year, lots and lots and lots of FYCs are floating out there for your consideration because we have award season approaching, but it's never too much for us to take a break and take a look at and see what's happening on television. So we've got some series premieres, season premieres of a couple shows coming back. We've also say we're saying goodbye to um, a couple of, of shows for the season that we know of. Um, and then, you know, we've got a sneak peek at one of our favorites. So let's get cracking and start on a new show called The Wheel of Time. This is on Amazon Prime, so you can watch it if you have a Prime account. We know you got a Prime account because it is holiday season, so you got it. You just may not know how to access it. But Wheel of Time is its new fantastical edition, and it's I think Amazon is starting to take that essence of fantastical, either if it's going to be the comic world or 
you know, trilogies that were famous. Um, We're not going to talk too much about that. I need to see some footage, but a famous trilogy um, (laughs) they're doing. um, Hannah, I mean, they're really taking on these big budget, big picture looking, um, feature-esque looking um, projects and turning them into television shows. So with this edition, Wheel of Time, we've got a cast, especially a cast member, who's pretty well known. Yes. Is it enough? Because, you know, in the previews, I'm seeing all kinds of like people grabbing stuff in the air and swinging stuff and, you know, moving stuff and big scary things. Is it really worth all the hype? Oh, well, there are two things going on here in this world. There's dark power and dark power. It is used by certain men who ruined the world. And they are led by some person called the dragon. Okay. All right. And then there's light power used by certain women who picked up the pieces after men destroyed the world via that dark power. Now, these women now vow to protect it and they have their work cut out for them because the next dragon is out there. What happened to the old one? Now, so they got to find this next dragon. Where is he? And take him out before the dark finds him. So the search has commenced. And during the search for this dragon to be, Rosamund Pike, her character, and her male companion come to a little village. Now, this little village is replete with a pair of star-crossed lovers, two of their friends, and then there's some healer who has an attitude when she sees Rosamund. What's that about? She got an attitude toward these women of the light. But just what do they find in this mountain hamlet? Well, the race for control of the world is on. Now, here's my review. When I was watching this, Raph, I was thinking of two things, and you alluded to one of them, or maybe both. But this is like a shallow blend of Merlin. I mean, you look at the effects, and you're yeah. kind of like, Ooh. And Lord of the Rings, of course. you get, Of course. Yeah. I mean, you get the fantasy lore, uh, some of the characterizations and names. I mean, some of it is outright thievery. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I just got to Well, say. you know, we know what's going to be happening in the next year. And I'll come right to that. That's right. But the problem is they don't explore the characters enough or explain the world with enough depth early on for anything to really matter. But if you're a diehard fantasy fan, you might be able to forgive this show's lack of urgency and have the patience to trudge through it. It's not a total bore, just a partial one. But if you find that this is not your thing, and you'll probably know for sure whether it is um, after you see the opening scene of this, the opening scene of the second episode, I would say, you'll meet a certain villain. You'll know. So you'll find out whether it is your thing or not. If it's not, then as the ref is saying, you might want to wait for Prime Video's actual Lord of the Rings show, which will come to us in September. Let's hope it has greater potency. Or if you want to have some fantasy fun right now, watch all seasons of Merlin. And that really starts cooking in its second season. And you can access that, by the way, via Prime Video as well, along with Hulu, among other platforms. Well, there you have it with that. Again, it's about eight episodes on Prime. They've already cranked it up for a season two. So 
they like it. Um, we'll see if everyone gets on the wheel <laughs> of time. Only time will tell where the wheel will go. Oh my goodness. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> okay, let's move on to something. You couldn't probably get more opposite than HBO Max's new show called The Sex Lives of College Girls. Now, I'm going to be upfront with you. I have no, absolutely 100%, no, nothing in me wants to see college girls having sex. Don't want to see it. Don't want to, <laughs> I don't, I'm sorry, just don't. So there it is. It's coming out. Two episodes um, have already premiered. And then you can get another batch coming up pretty soon. As of taping, you'll be able to, you know, really get going and see if this is for you. Now, we already know that HBO has brought back a favorite uh, show. Is this anything like that other sex show? Hmm. And let me be very straightforward. I'm talking about Sex and the City, not... Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> not anything sinister. Not any, no Skinamax. Uh, um, well, the, the real question is to go to what you're saying there, Ref. The title of the show, when you hear it, is it an accurate depiction of what you'll see? Now, with that said, there are four freshman roommates at a prestigious college in Vermont. There's Bella who wants to be a comedy writer. She also eagerly awaits having a sex life. She's sex positive, y'all, she says. But how are those two things going to mesh? Mm-mm. There's Whitney. She's the daughter of a senator from Washington State and a great soccer player who's having a secret affair that could be seen as inappropriate. The question is, is she as in control of everything as she seems to be? There's also Kimberly. She's well-meaning, but has never been surrounded by people from diverse backgrounds. But maybe her work-study co-workers will help her adjust. But how? She also has a boyfriend, but they haven't done the deed. Well, why not? And the last of the four, Leighton, is from New York City and has quite the attitude. She was supposed to be in the same room as her two best friends from high school. What happened? And her older brother, Nico, goes to the same college. Is that going to complicate things? But the real question for her is this. Is she hiding something? Now, of course, for all of them, surprises and growing pains are in the offing. Now, stylistically, at times, if we're thinking of this title, we're thinking of what the ref said, Sex in the City. This is more like a throwback to the 80s and 90s than something trying to push the envelope. And I didn't mind that. But at other times, it would be closer to a grownish, actually, is where I would put it. All right. It's the, the merest, tiniest whiff of something like Gossip Girl, especially when it comes to latent stuff, but with more straightforward execution, despite the soapy sexual storylines. So if you want to see, because this is from Mindy Kaling. So if yes. you want to see her take on a college comedy that's not too demanding to watch, this is it. You'll know whether it's your thing pretty quickly. And if so, you'll kick back and relax while watching it then forget about it afterward, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Okay, is this a is this a remedy for girls? Maybe a younger, maybe an HBO Max's version of of potentially yes. girls. Yeah, the thing about those kinds of like a girls and all of that, it's a little 
what I would say is, is not this is more of a classic kind of uh, comedy teen comedy than you would say a girls would be. So they're not really trying to push the envelope in any way. Okay. Uh, it's more comfort food like in this genre. Um, you know, really, if they could turn it into the sex lives of college boys, then you would have seen it before. Gotcha. It's good to know because the, the title is misleading. So yeah. to get to the heart of it is better for our listeners. Right. Well, let's let's kind of move away from the new stuff and go back to some of the stuff that we know and have talked about. And we're going to start on a hot new show. No, it's not new, but it's it, it, it was a limited series. Now it's an anthology. That's what we're going. That's what we're doing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a National Geographic. So be careful if you're like, I don't even know where that channel is, <laughs> um, especially if you're not into that to that. You can always watch it on Hulu the next day. And we're talking about the hot zone anthrax now the hot zone remember it was based on this book it was huge um you had um you know some pretty amazing actors in its first iteration or its first um uh when it was a limited series now Mm -hmm. we're going to move across these pandemics basically and so you know the question really becomes how far are they going to go with this and (laughs) are we going to reach up to Omicron or, you know, uh, oh, my goodness, how far are we going to go with this? But for those of you who remember, Anthrax was really, um, you know, this was 2001 Mm -hmm. and it was a big thing that was coming out. So just curious as to see how they are handling this. Is it quite the way you remembered, Critic? Mm. Yeah, you know what? I I completely forgot about this to be honest. So really? watching, I'm like, oh, well, because remember, this happened not too long after 9/11. It sure did. And, and can I yes. tell you why I know this very well? Because I got <laughs> I got a piece of letter oh. from Texas with oh. white powder on it <gasps> sent to my apartment, and I called the authorities to come check it out, and, and it was obviously nothing. But for a hot second. I thought perhaps maybe I could be in the hot zone. So. (laughs) Oh, my. I'll never forget it. Never forget it. Well, keep that in mind as we talk about this second season here. So they start us off in like 1979 and in Russia. And, you know, we see what's going on with them and, and their little secret labs and what they got going. But something leaks. Now, how do they handle this leak? And the thing is, as we shuttle forward to 2001 in the States, when it comes to Russia as an adversary, will they be the ones, uh, you know, administering a direct attack? Or are they willing just to give our other enemies help so that they are not, you know, the ones doing it directly? Now, as we mentioned, 9-11 has happened. There's a massive focus on that, of course. But this could be cover for other attacks. And the question is, when it comes to other attacks, what could they be? And will we be be prepared to take care of them when they happen? Now, in Florida, there is a man. He gets sick. How did he get sick? Is it anthrax? 
They've got to investigate. But the question is, for the FBI, do they have time for this? They've been getting a lot of these kinds of scares and they've turned into nothing. So Daniel Day Kim plays Matthew Riker. He's an FBI agent. He specializes in microbiology. And he goes, hmm, there's something going on here because there's certain circumstances surrounding this case that make it seem like it might be more than what they've seen up to now. There's also Tony Goldwyn's character, Bruce Evans, who's a microbiologist. And, you know, he's the one who can tell you whether it's anthrax or not. And he also has some opinions about how things are going. Also, is he paranoid or is someone after him? What's happening? We also have Dylan Baker, who plays Matthew's agent, uh, FBI agent boss. Now, Dylan Baker ain't playing here, but he's the one who has to, like, you know, wake up and go, wait a minute. Is this a real thing? So as they move forward, the question is, who is being targeted by these attacks? By whom? Can they stop it? Has it already gone too far? Will this spawn more and more things? Now, here's what I have to say. First season of this show, it's it's a writing question with this show. Because like you said, Ref, in the first season, they had a great cast and they do ratchet up the suspense. It's just always like there's something missing. And in season two, I would say the writing is serviceable at best. It just, it's not nuanced is the problem. Not even the tiniest bit. So you have tension, you have the casting, but that can only go so far. So what I'll say is if you're interested, if you watch the first season, you want to watch this, it's going to come down to your level of interest in the story. Oh, well, there you have it. Star Trek Discovery is back on Paramount+. Plus. Now remember, they kicked off Paramount+, Plus, or back then it was CBS All Access. Yeah. So, you know, hey... It's season number four, and they, they're coming at us with 13 episodes. And the question is, at this point, we know that Star Trek in the beginning had, you know, showrunner, you know, we were going through some things, and now there's a groove. But for you, Critic, it's been an up and down experience a bit. You've really, really enjoyed it. And then there were other, you know, seasons where you thought, oh, my goodness, we could really use, you know, a little something else. How are we starting with Star Trek Discovery is, you know, is it on the right track? <laughs> uh, oh, oh. <laughs> well, yeah, because the season three, you know, it was an up and down thing for me. So now we're in season four and now the whole thing, this burn has happened. And really, I mean, the whole universe was on the brink of possible extinction. But of course, we have Michael Burnham, played by Sonequa Martin-Green, who discovered this and helped to rectify it, she and her crew. Um, and the question is, when it comes to the Federation, after this burn, can they piece it all back together? So what happens is, the Discovery crew, and now Michael is back being the captain, can they go throughout the reaches of space and pull the Federation back together, get people to buy in again so that they can have what they had in the past, the future, the present. I don't know. A different timeline. Now, along with her, of course, is Saru there? He was the captain. He was number one. What's going on with him? He's back with his people. He wants to be a leader there. Can he deal with the discovery and his own kind? 
There's also, of course, the whole rest of the crew. There's Tilly. You know, what is she up to? She was a number one. And now what is she doing? There are also other kind of people coming in here because there's this spore drive thing that Paul Stamets can control, but somebody else can as well. Oh, yes. And this someone is attached to Michael. Who is he? What's up with him? And this person, he has his own planet to contend with as well. And we see this in the opening of this season and something devastating happens. What happens to him in his mind? And can Michael be there to help him or not? And then, of course, if we come back to the Federation, they're starting to get back, you know, the whole hierarchy. So who's in charge? And this person wants to come and see Michael in action. Why? Michael's very suspicious. Does Michael have any sort of point? And then as we move forward, we find, of course, there's always this big threat in every season. There's a huge threat. There's a huge threat out there. They can't even figure it out. It almost seems like the laws of physics are breaking down. And this threat is devastating on a planetary and possibly universal level. They got to get down to the bottom of this. Now, what I'll say so far in season four, what I would love for Star Trek Discovery to do, and this is a consistent thing, is focus on the threat and the action. That's this show. The personal stuff doesn't heighten it. It dilutes the power instead. So when they move it along and go after something, it's good. When they don't, you're just waiting for the next moment. So that's what I would say. I'm still uh, fine watching it. It's just still up and down. Well, there you go. Let's now move on to a season finale, finale, Dope Sick, which is also another limited series. But who knows if we'll, <laughs> we'll be dope sicking <laughs> ourselves into other, um, you know, epidemics. This, again, as a reminder, was on Hulu. It's about eight episodes. This had a pretty star-studded cast, and it dealt with the, um, the opioid uh, epidemic that hit this hit this country, how it spawned, and who was spawning it and fanning the flame. So the question is, when we started, you had talked about it being a much more technical um some episodes really dove deeply into the technicalities and the technical aspects of this epidemic. And it just very slightly, you know, weaved in a tiny bits of personal things in tying with this family that was, you know, somehow alluded to be responsible for some of this. Now, where did we end up in all of it? I'm sure there was court case. I'm sure there's been uncoverings i'm sure there's been other things is dope sick really something you want to watch right now exactly and even right now there's still this is still going on you know the lawsuits and everything else uh really surrounding oxycontin is what's going on here purdue farmer and the sackler family so at the end well if you know what happened to them you know but that's where they end here um but what i would say going back to what you were saying ref because I reviewed this previously, I won't go through everything again. What they do with the personal stories, because it's surrounding Caitlin Devers' character, Betsy, her parents, um, and her doctor, who's played by Michael Keaton, Dr. Phoenix. So OxyContin is new. He sold OxyContin. He's not quite, 
you know, into it. He's not quite buying it, but it seems to work. So he prescribes it. He prescribes it to more than one patient, of course, but uh, Caitlin's uh, character, Betsy, gets it, is in pain. But what happens as a result? And the problem with OxyContin is if you get hooked, it's very hard to get off. That's the title, Dope Sick. Very hard. So we see how she has to deal with her parents and some other personal issues. It's very difficult for her. But Dr. Phoenix gets roped in as well. How? It's tragic. So at first, that to me wasn't woven into the technical stuff you were talking about, Ref, as well as I wanted it to be. Over the course of the season, they do a better job of it. They do develop that. Um, it is a lot of shuttling back and forth in time because you also have investigations by, you know, the the assistant district attorney and his staff. You know, Peter Sarsgaard is on board there and so on. You have Rosario, Rosario Dawson's character, Bridget, who um, is dealing with uh, this from a law enforcement perspective, the DEA. So what's that like? And how does the FDA relate Because Bridget is going to the FDA going, you've got to stop this. So what I would say is, as a watch, everybody, it is depressing. As I was saying, over time, it becomes more effective. They do have a solid cast, but it can be heavy-handed, and that keeps it from being affecting on a visceral level, which this could be. Even still, the execution is just good enough to watch if you want to witness the dangers of this drug, and more broadly, the dangers of any addictive prescription drug, but it will feel like work at times. Well, you know, you also have a number of other resources, um, not resources, that's not the right word. Another, uh, other TV shows and movies that have, you know, taken a deep dive into the world of prescriptions and how they came to be. So if you're into that world, Dope Six seems to be something that you can, you know, just go on and off, but take the critics heed. It's heavy. So, you know, maybe not for the holidays, um, (laughs) but let's look at something that may be for the holidays for a number of people. We're talking about BMF. Yes. We talked about this earlier on it's on stars. And remember at the time, we were just talking about season one. Now we're already renewed for season two. Remember, stars knows their audience and they are willing to invest in their audience when it comes to programming. And BFM is the latest in that um, investment. Now, you told us earlier what BFM stands BMF. for. Huh? Or BMF, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. BMF, excuse me. What BMF stands for and uh, <clears throat> JS, just saying. So um, where do we land with this? We know that these, this family and these people are, you know, well-to-do. Are they uh, mm. people who, you know, need things to happen the way they need things to happen? So uh, did it happen? <laughs> yeah. And in the end of this season, we do see how they come up with BMF, which stands for Black Mafia Family. How did they get this name? Because at the beginning, it's the 50 boys, okay? We're in the 80s in Detroit, and the 50 boys are led by two brothers, Meech and T. Now, Meech is the oldest, 
T is his younger brother. They do have a younger sister. They have a father and mother. But the family's kind of struggling monetarily. This father, played by Russell Hornsby, let me tell you, <laughs> you, you got to take care of your family, bro. Okay. And if you don't, you certainly can't look at your sons and be like, you can't be criminals. I mean, you're going to have to do your job. Okay. I just got to say that. And, you know, they're very religious. Mama is holding out hope. Dad is not. Dad wants me out of the house. They think that he's to blame. He's the one pulling Terry down because Meech dropped out of school. Terry's still in high school, which is kind of hilarious when you see him in high school. And so, (laughs) you know, they think he has a future. But something devastating happens to T. And does this change the course of his history and history of the 50 boys and this family? There might be a way to get money that's not illegal. Hmm. Hmm. Now, how is Meech going to receive this? Because keep in mind, Meech takes all the blame, but T, he's the one pushing a lot of this. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like, you had a problem with that, Lester. I, I do. <laughs> I have a big problem. How are you going to let your brother take all the flack? It's his everything. brother. I you know care. how it goes. I you do. And I would never do goes. that to my brother, ever. Well, I would maybe never your brother would do it to you. So. <laughs> <laughs> but that's not right. It's not right. But anyway. It's not right. Not right. So, you know, because of this life they're in, the question is, how do you push forward? They do have someone supplying them, played by Wood Harris. (laughs) He got them into it. But can they get beyond him? Do they want to grow? And if so, who can they get to help them grow? Will they be safe going there? And this person they want to reach out to only wants to deal with one of the brothers. Which one? Uh Mm Uh-oh. Also, there is somebody who is out to get them. Lamar. At the beginning of the season, he gets out of prison. And there is a connection between Lamar and Meech that it ain't too good. So Lamar is nuts and he's out for them. He wants to destroy them. Everybody can't survive this. So in the end, who does survive? How does all of this work work? Also, with the rest of their crew, who can they trust? Because they also, in order to, you know, operate, they've got to have some law enforcement in their back pocket. And the main person in their back pocket is Detective Bryant, played by Wood Harris's brother, Steve. Oh, yes. Now, you don't mess with Steve Harris. I don't care who he's playing. So... He might be on the take, but how long will that last? And what will happen if he becomes an enemy? Now, here's what I have to say about BMF. We were just coming off of Power Book 3, Raising Canaan, which I enjoyed. This did a good job of stepping into that slot and keeping us going if you want this kind of entertainment. By the end of the season... Is it as good as Raising Canaan? No. Is it as good as a Wu-Tang in American Saga? No, but it certainly is entertaining. Was it all over the place? Yes. But I will say this. Tasha Smith, I mentioned, directed the first two episodes. She yes. came back in the final one. She really gave this show its DNA. And in the final episode, it's almost like they were like, oh, we're at the end. We got to hurry up and put everything in here. It was <laughs> a ridiculously funny ride. Now, I don't know how successful that is, but it certainly wasn't a dull moment because Tasha Smith demands that you go there. 
So if you haven't seen BMF, but you like this kind of thing, check it out. It is entertaining. Is it as consistent as it could be? No, but really that doesn't matter much. Well, there you have that. Now let's get off that and talk Mm. about something that is returning, but it's a sneak peek. Oh, why watch that sneak peek? And we're talking about none other than Lost in Space. This is its final season. We love Lost in Space. Love Lost in Space. I do, at least. And I am seeing that kids are growing up. (laughs) We can't keep being Lost in Space. Because I was thinking to myself, why, why, why? Um, but you know, kids have to grow up. You you can't be lost that long or can you? Hmm. So this again was based on that TV show back in, you know, the back in the, uh, 1960s, 70s, whatever. And, um, they revitalized it and it's been well done. You know, critic, mm-hmm. my mother is visiting and we watched season one and season two together. Oh, we can't wait to get going on season three. She loved it. And I just really realized something that we've iterated before. This is a well made show, meaning the visual effects mm. and the time that they've taken to really, you know, are all the visual effects perfect? No, but really well done. And I, I put it up there with the Mandalorian. I know I might get hate mail from that, but visual effects wise, I would put it up there. Season one and season two. I can't vouch for season three. Put it up there with the Mandalorian because everything is a visual effects in Lost in Space. Everything. So the question then becomes this. We left off season two with a huge cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. And some kids were hanging um, out in space and the adults had to be split up from the children. Yes. Why? And what is the result of that? And then getting deeper, are we finally going to figure out the power of wealth? Well, I always think of the dad just yelling, well, well, he never said will. He said, well, but anyway, we forgive him for that. But what is going on with Will? Can he and the robot really harness their power together to do something very significant. Because remember, Robot was there to send, was sent to not just destroy out of mischievousness because the humans took something that it needed, they needed. Question is, where are we at with season three? Are we done with that? Or are we going into deeper trouble as this family does five times every episode. I mean, it's life or death five times yes. every episode for this family. Yeah. Well, you know the answer to that. Uh, <laughs> now, and I'll come well, back to those effects later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because Toby Stevens who plays a dad, he ain't American. He's not, but... No. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> so, in season three, like you said, Ref, yeah, the, the adults are separate, separated from the children. Uh, and by separated, we don't mean, you know, they're on different parts of a planet. They're in completely like different galaxies. <laughs> so the adults and here, that's Maureen Robinson and John Robinson, the father and mother. 
Well, what happens is a year passes because you were talking about the age. So that's how they explain it. Okay. I was going to yeah. say, you know, we, it's, mm-hmm. we had a whole pandemic. <laughs> yes. Because Will is getting old. So, you know, <laughs> they give him a year. And there's a, there's, a, there's a scene at the beginning of this season that's before the jump of a year. And I was looking at him going, he's older. And then they went a year. <laughs> so, like, they took care of that. Okay, so, good job. So the parents are like, oh, my goodness. We can't get back to these kids. <laughs> we have no way to do it. I mean, like Maureen all the has, kids. Yeah, like, all, all the kids are, are, are gone. And Maureen is almost, like, given up over this year what does John think about that now the kids are of course led by Judy yes of course they are Dr. Judy now Judy is trying of course to reconnect with her parents get everybody back together also they are close to a certain spacecraft that has meaning for Judy what meaning? And is that spacecraft the key to them reconnecting? Now, we also have Will. He's working on getting things back up to snuff because, of course, they always crash land. You know, there's always damage. But it's, it's taking him a year. What's going on? Why, how, why would it take him a year and Robot, who's there with him? That doesn't make any sense. What's up? And then we also have Penny. Yes, we love Penny. I do love Penny. She's great. Speaking of love, Penny is having some attention in that department. And the question is, can she handle it? Well. hmm. Also. Where's the slinker? (laughs) Oh, (laughs) I'm not there yet. Now, also, can she believe in herself? Yeah. That's the question. Or is she going to consistently ride other people's coattails? Now, speaking of slinking, <laughs> there is one adult who's with the children. How did adult? that happen? How did that happen? An adult be with the children. <laughs> and this is Jude Harris and Zoe Smith. What do you want to call her? Played by Parker Posey with oozing, slinking perfection. Oh, I, when, when you do a second watch of that show, it's, it, it is a masterclass of slinking. Just slinking all over the place. <laughs> now, what's her role with all these children? Oh, gosh. You'll find out. Now, the question is, not if, but when are they going to get back together? I mean, we're we're not crazy it, here. Yeah, yeah. So when and how? It is a family remember, show. Yeah. It is a family show. But the question, and you were alluding to it, is, what is it about Will and these alien robots? Because while Robot is with him, there are the other robots led by Sar. Right. And Sar is out to get Will. Why? Mm. Who created these robots, by the way? Oh. For what purpose? Mm. Do you get answers to these questions? All will be revealed Mm. in the end. You will know what it is about Will, what Sar is after, what exactly happened to Robot and how that may or may not be a threat to all of the robots. Mm. Now, of course, all of them need to finally get to Alpha Centauri, this planet. Alpha Centauri, this eluding planet. 
do they? What kind of planet is it? Now, in the end, of course, there's going to be all kinds of things they have to go through. But does everybody make it? Now, what I will say about this show is pacing-wise, the action sequences are brilliant. Very good. Some of the best TV has done, I would say. Some of the best action sequences. And outside of that, the pacing's tolerable at worst, I would say. At worst, it's tolerable. And that's why the action-packed episodes, like the first one in this season, are the best. You were talking about the effects, Ref. They are always better than what they could otherwise get away with. That's how I would say it. They could have much less work in these uh, special effects and it would be okay. They go above and beyond. So I, I credit them for that. Also, when they pose and answer questions about what they've encountered, where they're going, why certain things have happened, what the real threats are, things like that, it really works. It draws you in in those situations and they comprise the bulk, though not all of the show. Now, what I do also want to point out is in this season, it's eight episodes instead of 10. And they have differing lengths of time. And I think Mm -hmm. that's smart because they're not really wasting a lot of time. So overall, it's just kind of like you were saying, Ref, it's just a really good sci-fi action adventure for the entire family. Well, we are sad that Lost in Space is concluding this, you know, this particular year. However, there I'm sure will be more things cooking up from Netflix and from all of these networks. You can catch all of this currently on their platforms, but... Like I said, don't put it off watching TV because the movies and others are coming right after. But we'll be here to cover it. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, visit whywatchthat.com. Good idea. And we'd love to hear from you. So go ahead and leave comments, feedback, and you can rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next week. See you.